which are called the Hallel Psalms. They're basically psalms often were used in the Passover. And uh, the first two, actually 13 and 14, are often used at the beginning of the meal and the last four at the end of the meal. So they are, uh, that's the background of the psalm in a way. And, and if you think about what Passover is, Passover obviously is a major festival uh, in the Jewish calendar. It's obviously a time when the, uh, the people remembered God's redemptive act, bring the Jews out of Egypt, setting their feet, as it were, on the road that was to lead them in time to the promised land. Um, and also, to just think about it as well, the Hillel Psalms, you know, the last verse of this psalm, psalm uh, verse 29, which has this uh, refrain in it. Um, no, it doesn't, actually. But the, <laughs> it has a refrain, give thanks to the Lord for he is a good, his love endures forever. Um, you know, Jesus at the Last Supper, that may well have been the last line of worship he ever, as it were, sung in worship before he went obviously to Gethsemane and to the cross. And um, I think it's worth reflecting on a little bit. Um, I mean, it's a little bit of conjecture. We don't know that particularly from the scriptures, but it fits together. And um, you know, Jesus, even knowing what he's going to be facing for our sakes, was willing to say and sing, I'm sure sincerely, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. It's worth def- you know, looking at it in that context. Psalm 18 is, 118 is a song that celebrates God's redemptive love. And we're going to look at that a bit. And I think it also tries to encourage weary pilgrims to press on in faith. I don't know who's sitting here today thinking, well, I, I'm a weary pilgrim. Uh, you know, we all have times where we do feel weary pilgrims, where you know, we just think it just, it's a struggle uh, to press on. And I think, look at this psalm in that light. You, know, you can come to this psalm worn out, tired, weary, and this psalm speaks very much into that space. And certainly if that's where you feel you are today, you know, pay to pay, I hope it speaks to you as well. It's a wonderfully rich psalm. Um, it's topped and tailed with that same verse. Give thanks to the Lord, he is good, his love endures forever. The opening verse and the closing verse, an awful lot in the middle, but those two. And I want you to imagine that today as like God's love, his arms embracing his people. And from the first verse to the last, ultimately it's that embrace. You know, God embraces his people. There's stuff we're going to look at in the middle of all that. But you, but we, you miss that. You, you miss, I think, a very key part of what the psalm's trying to say. You know, it's almost like the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of what God is doing in his redemptive work. It's got, you know, is this enduring love, the beginning and the end. But as I read it myself, and I, I also came across many verses, I go, oh, I knew that one, which is quite good for me, really. Oh, I knew that one. Yeah, so, uh, you know, sometimes I read things and I, don't, I go, don't always, that doesn't always happen. And, and I did want to look, I'm just going to show a few, a few little slides quickly, just to show you um, some examples. And there may be other verses that struck you particularly, and you'll see why I'm going to do this in a minute. Um, there you go, verse 5. In my distress I called the Lord and he answered me. He set me free. It's definitely worth remembering. Isn't it? Sometimes when we get in distress, that's the last place we go. Yeah. Verse 6. Lord is with me, I won't be afraid. Yeah, God is with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a good reminder for the next few verses. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. In other words, you know, yeah, he should be the place of refuge for us uh, as well. 
The Lord is my strength, my song. He has become my salvation. It's one that always rings for me. We go so far in our own strength, but we all learn in time that it just runs out. And those wonderful verses through to 21 open for me the, the gates of righteousness. I like the righteous may come in and, uh, and we'll look at a little bit of that in a minute. The stone the builders have rejected has become the capstone, of course, a verse that is quoted in the Gospels by Jesus. It's, it appears in Acts, it appears in, in other writings of Paul. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice, be glad of it. Be grateful for today. You may have some difficulties in today, but be, you know, be, yeah, this is good. This is good. And again, that repetitive one, it's at the stop of it, start and the end. Just a little. And you may have, as John was reading that psalm, you may, there may be other verses that jump to you. Um, but the reason I'm, I'm pointing this out to you, uh, my sort of selective, whatever, top whatever, five or six there, um, I, I, you need to look at all these, 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 these verses as I say, understanding they, are, they begin and end with God's enduring love. You know, the, the, the psalm almost starts breaking it down a little bit. It helps us try and see aspects of what God's enduring love might mean, how God might act in our lives, but, but, it, you, but we must see it in the context of this enduring, this solid foundation, this enduring love of God. So it may well be in your own quiet time or when you go home and you get a minute... That uh, you might want to take one or two verses out of Psalm 8 just for yourself and just reflect on them in the light of those arms of God, as it were, that reach out to one of this, each one of us. I suppose the other, th- the other little analogy I tend to use, which I find quite helpful if I share it, but it is, is like if you just imagine a beautifully crafted diamond, you know, and it has all these wonderful facets and faces, and, and obviously light seems to come out of it if it's really well done because it, it's just way brilliant the way it reflects so differently. And yet every face is different. If you look at the diamond closely, every little facet is different. It's all part of the diamond. It's all part, so it's all part of God's enduring love. But as you consider one aspect of God's enduring love, which may be his faithfulness, for example, you know, you are little, you, sometimes it's better off to go to look. You know, this thing is so big in total, but actually sometimes when we try and look at something a little bit below it. So taking a verse out of that psalm can sometimes help us, uh, yeah, just go deeper, come to know what that might mean, that enduring love. So anyway, what I'm going to do, I'm going to just go through some of those verses in the middle and just try and point out how there are the different aspects or faces or facets or whatever word you want to use of this wonderful gem, which is God's love. Um, and hopefully you find this useful. I'm going to put the scriptures up here because um, this will also uh, help you follow uh, what I'm going to be saying. So the first thing is pretty obvious, and it comes out in the first four verses. It's an enduring love. Uh, stating the obvious, I'll do it again. It's an enduring love. It's not a fleeting love. It's not a passing love. It's not a transient love. It's an enduring love. Everything in this world is passing. This love is not of this world. It is an enduring love. Love, and it is this love that God approaches us with. Nothing less. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let anybody who fears the Lord say, his love endures forever. It's an instruction to just give thanks to God because he is good. He's just and loving. He's merciful, compassionate 
faithful, forgiving, holy, so much more than that. And yet, although he is God Almighty, the God whose fundamental character, uh, John writes in 1 John, is, is love itself, agape, agape love, he is also one who deals personally with people and seeks the well-being of his people. So whoever we are, wherever we come from, we can trust in that love of God, a love which, like God himself, endures forever. You know, just because we have a certain background or we come from a certain place or we are a certain age or we've done certain things or we now regret does not disqualify us from this love of God. It's so important to recognise how solid it is. You know, God in Christ wishes us to set our feet on the rock, you know, firm ground, solid ground. And it's a place from which we can then look back into the world. It's a place from which we can deal with the things we didn't want to deal with. But it's a place we can stand and stand firmly. I think recognizing and reflecting on the enduring love of God, sometimes people say, yeah, I know, I got it somewhere up here, all right? Um, but we don't, we don't always get it here. You know, we think, yeah, okay, I know God loves me. Yeah. But then when we're in trouble, our actions seem to say, well, you weren't quite so sure, were you? Because you've gone off this way or you've gone off that way. Um, but standing on this rock gives us a, a confidence to face not just today, but also look to tomorrow with hope as well. And I think this is what the psalmist is doing here. He's just trying to drive it home, regardless who you are, what your background is, old, young, male, female, there is this enduring love. So that's the enduring love bit, but then it seems the psalm starts breaking it down. In the next few verses, in my anguish I cried to the Lord, and he answered me by setting me free. The Lord is with me, I won't be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I will look in triumph for my enemies. So God's love is not just enduring, as something eternally there, uh, but it is also responsive. Right? Responsive. It's personal. It is not remote. It is not a distant thing. The psalm is confident, speaking to God in this way. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. The Lord is with me. He's my helper. The Lord is with me. Now, although we are often encouraged to request things of God and to prayer and to inter intercessory prayer, we cannot demand them. We sometimes wish we could, but we cannot demand them. So we cannot always be sure that God will answer our prayers, or at least not in the way that we might wish them to be answered. And even when our prayers go unanswered, or even when God seems silent, we need never think that God has abandoned us. Because the Lord is with me. I mean, again, in the word... You've got it in, uh, in Joshua. I'm just going to read from Deuteronomy 31. The Lord himself will go before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So you first of all got this rock you stand on, this enduring love of God. But then also recognition it's not just something vast and impersonal. It is a responsive love. It is a personal love, an engaging love and in the psalm. But then also the psalmist moves on and he says, and it's also something much more superior than just worldly love. And this is what we get, hopefully, 
there. I'll, I'll use the word better, but again, it's superior. Verse 8 says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Taking refuge in God's love is a better place, it's a more secure place than any, even the best of people or nations or earthly organizations can ever be. It's a much better place to put our trust than good health, although we value good health, or good great wealth. It's a better place because it endures, it lasts, and it's superior, therefore, to anything in this world. So the psalmist, I think, here just reminds us that God's enduring love is qualitatively far superior to anything the world can ever provide. We can't go elsewhere for this. There's only one well, as it were, from which we can drink. So as a weary pilgrim, if there's anybody identifying with that little word, weary pilgrim this morning, I just want to remind us, and the psalmist would remind us, that this is the place to go and draw water. This is a place to turn to, to run to, when the world feels overwhelming. We run, as it were, into those enduring arms of God, the opening verse and the closing verse. Run into his arms, trusting in him who really does love us. And that's you and that's me. So we have the first three, and then we also have this aspect of this love is also a way to be victorious. And let me just try and unpack that a little bit. Verse 13 and 14, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength, my song, and he has become my salvation. I think God's love is not only a place to take refuge in when the world seems to be getting on top of us, not just somewhere to hide away from the world, as it were, but it also has the potential to change us as we turn to him. As we take refuge in God, we put ourselves in a better place for God to guide our steps. For God, in his love, doesn't just want to, I don't think, provide us with a place of refuge, but he also wants to provide us with the, the wisdom to discern how we might best turn back and return into the world. I think if we really trust in God's love, we need to be willing to submit to that love and allow God to take his rightful place in our lives so that he does become our strength. He does become our song, for he has become our salvation. And this sense of victory, I think, is picked up in the cross, isn't it? The cross of Christ, that unique symbol that demonstrates the extent of God's love for people, for this world. With worldly eyes, it would seem like no, not a place of victory at all. It's ultimate place of degradation and defeat. But with the, the resurrection confirmed, it was actually the place where God's perfect love was shown to be most victorious. So God's love is a love of victory as well that brings his people to a place of victory, not in a worldly sense, but in the kingdom sense. And they've got a couple more, and they're there. It's also corrective. This is something we often seem to forget about God's love. We get all rather warm and nice feelings about God's love. But I would want to point out, and the, the, uh, this word says it as well, that it's corrective. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. And I say the psalmist reminds us of God's enduring love, this wonderful love, this responsive love, is also a love 
but does not disregard discipline and correction when necessary. So when we are feeling that sense of God's right, righteous anger, I suppose might be a best way of describing it, that's still love. That's still love being expressed. I was thinking the other day, this phrase came to me, which I think is quite helpful. God is much more interested in my holiness than my happiness. Might be worth just reflecting on that occasionally. I must admit, I do get a bit hooked on my happiness. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. God's love is a tough love. And we need to remember that God is there for our eternal well-being, not just for our, da- our daily comfort. As I say, we need to be reminded that God is more interested in our holiness than in our happiness. And it is also a transforming love. And you've got those wonderful verses that again are quoted in the New Testament. Open me the gates of righteousness and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me and you've become my salvation. The stone the builders have rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done that and it is marvellous in our eyes. And I think we're just reminded here that God's love is also about change, it's about transformation. It's a life-changing love. A love that doesn't just want to sit alongside us and leave us where we are, but a, li- a love that wants to lead us, as it were, into a new uh, world, a new day, as it were. A love that, in, through the Spirit, doesn't just operate from outside of us, but actually is willing to come in and actually be inside of us and actually provide uh, the catalyst for that change as well. Should we engage with it, by the way? So important to to say that as well. These verses were quoted by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and and say they also turn up in, obviously, Paul's letters and Peter's letters, in fact, as well. They speak of a new age being inaugurated in in the ministry of Messiah, an age of God's grace freely given to all who would believe that Jesus is God's Son, the Christ. So in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we see that full extent of selfless love. That the stone that the builders had rejected became the capstone. So God's enduring love as well, we must not forget, is there to change us. It's there to transform us. And it doesn't leave us unchanged. And the last little point is, is this one of joy. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad in it. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. So as as I say, I try to paint a picture of the the arms of God reaching out to his people, the enduring love and how solid it is. And yet within that, different aspects of that love are spoken about by the the psalmist. Not in a totally comprehensive sense, but they're, they're all there. And we, for our part, what can we do apart from just give thanks? Which is why it's so important to give thanks. What can we do? You know, we, we, we can't earn it. We certainly don't merit it. But it is a simple gift of God. God has chosen to give us in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So it's my hope that as you maybe reflect on this psalm a little bit later, you can also, you might see a little bit more of one of those aspects of God's love for you for you and as we see 
things more clearly, might we also come with grateful hearts, with thankful hearts to give thanks. God's amazing, enduring love for us in Christ. And if those are just the points I was trying to just, just take us through with those different verses. An enduring love is, is there for the long run. It's responsive, it's personal. It's not a worldly love, it's a far better, far, far better. But it's also a place of victory. It's not just a hiding place. It's a place that sends us back into the world in God's spirit. It's corrective, tough love. God loves you enough to, tough, to discipline us. And it is always a life-changing love as well. But not forgetting, it is a love to be celebrated. It is a love to be rejoiced in. So, I don't know how many weary pilgrims I've got here today. All right? But however this morning finds you, I just pray this word might actually help encourage you and help you in your walk. I'm going to close with a few words from Paul who wrote these. This is Romans 8, verses 31 for a few verses. What then? What shall we say in response to this? if God is for us who can be against us he didn't spare his own son he gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution famine, nakedness or danger no in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. We're more than victorious through him who loved us. So Paul right concludes, he says, I'm convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, angel nor demon, present nor future, nor any powers, height or depth, or anything else in all of creation will ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.